Cactus Campus and our chapel and our venue join us for our, our time in the Word. As you might have guessed, we're going we're gonna to talk about mothers today. And again, I, I know how some of you guys think. Uh, some of you are thinking, oh gosh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about mothers and don't tell my mom, but I, I don't want to do that. I, this is church and what have you. And, and, and let's just settle the issue right now because I want to show you how relevant today's message is going to be. I want you to raise your hand if you have had or currently have a mother. Raise your hand if that is you. Cactus, Venue Chapel. Well, that settles the issue, doesn't it? I mean, this is something that's relevant to every one of us, and uh, I think it's worth talking about from a biblical perspective, this idea of motherhood. So I've entitled this Marked by Mom, and you'll see why as we go along today. So why don't you bow with me, and let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, indeed, we're grateful for worship today, for the ability we have to freely gather and to band together as a church, raise our voices to you, uh, rub shoulders with each other, and now, Lord, turn to your word. And God, we pray that as we uh, talk uh, intelligently and cogently from your word about uh, this idea of motherhood, I pray you'd give us wisdom. I pray you would give us insight and discernment. Uh, Lord, even maybe more importantly, God, uh, uh, spur our hearts on, uh, enliven our hearts to uh, this idea of what you want to do through moms. And God, if there are moms here today, and there are, uh, may they be deeply encouraged, no matter how uh, difficult the road might be for them. May today be very much an encouragement from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as some of you might guess, today is a somewhat sad Mother's Day for me because as many of you know, my mom passed away uh, this last December and uh, she passed into glory on December 23rd and there is not a day that goes by that I do not think of my mom. In fact, my heart dropped twice this week. On Tuesday, I got an email reminder from FTD to send flowers to my mom. And my heart just sank, and I go, that's right, I'm on their database. And then I deleted that quickly, and on Thursday, I got one from ProFlowers, and I thought, that's right, I've used them before too, and I deleted that. But I, I, I think of her every day, and uh, my mom, uh, has, you'll see if we go along today, has deeply marked me in a good way, in a God way. And as a result of that, I've always been a huge fan of Mother's Day. And there's a lot of mothers out there. Did you know that? Currently in the United States, there are 85 million moms. And let's just say it as it is, it's a much different day for moms today than it was when I was a kid with my mom. According to the Pew Research Center, 71% of moms with kids under 18 today are working moms. That is up from 47% when I was a kid. Today, about 40% of households with kids under 18 have moms who are the sole or primary breadwinner. It's a much different day than it was when I was a kid. And yet I'm going to argue today that a mother's heart is still a mother's heart. And the vast majority of mothers polled today by this same Pew Research study said that they feel the daily pressure to balance work and motherhood. And so if there was ever a time that mothers need encouraged, it is today. And so of these 85 million moms that are around today, their loved ones will send out 141 million greeting cards this weekend. 
I, I, that encouraged me. And they will keep in business the 28,000 florists that our nation has. That encouraged me. It's become quite a holiday here in America, this idea of Mother's Day that we set aside to honor mom. And so as I said, what I want to do today is focus solely on the role of a mom in positively marking her child. And to accomplish this, I want to share with you today three central biblical ideas, three things the Bible tells us about human beings in general, and then the life-altering role that a mother can and should play. And the starting place for us today is to rightly begin with saying something about the kids who desperately need a mark from mom. And so here is what the Bible makes clear. I call this what every kid has. And what is it that they have? They have an inadequate view of God, themselves, and others. Did you know that? Every child born into this world has an inadequate view right from the get-go of God, self, and others. In other words, we are born with holes in our souls. Many of you know that. And it's a hole that leaves us as children lacking and wanting in our understanding and experience of what this world is about, who God is, our relationship with others, who we are as fallen people, but also image bearers of God. We are born this way, and it's very confusing for a kid who starts to come into consciousness and realize what they are lacking. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at how the Bible lays this out really candidly and clearly. First, I want you to look at Job chapter 14, verse 1. Job is the one speaking. He's been through the mill of difficult circumstances. He's lost his job, his kids, his possessions, and his dreams. And listen to what he concludes at one point inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. So he's saying two things here. One, our lives compared to eternity are short-lived. I, I met a mom here today that's 103 years old. And, and people are marveling at that. Like 103, that's a very long time to live. Not to diminish that, but not compared to eternity, it's not. Compared to eternity, God sees 103. And though we say that's a long time, he says that's a grain of sand on the beach of eternity in his eyes. A man who was born of woman is short-lived and, what does Job say, full of turmoil. That word turmoil here is a fascinating word in the original Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in. It's the Hebrew word rogez, and it simply means that which is not calm, tumultuous. It, it carries with it a, a picture that a pot, uh, say a pot of stew that was once calm, is now being stirred. And, and as it's stirred, it's swirling and mixing and at times even spilling. You can picture that. That's what this word means. And Job is simply saying our lives is like that at times. And all of you know this. There are times where things get stirred and sometimes it's almost like a whirlpool going on around us. And don't miss that Job is making a universal statement here. He says, man born of woman, which means everyone. Everyone born into this world experiences the stirring of the pot. Now, what, is one of the what are the ramifications and even the causes of this stirred life that we experience? If you thought that verse we just looked at was difficult, 
I want you to notice this second one, Jeremiah 10, verse 14. I'm just going to warn you right now. The Bible can sometimes be really straightforward. Look at what Jeremiah says. He says, every man is stupid, (laughs) devoid of knowledge. Some of you aren't laughing. Get a sense of humor. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Some of you go, that's got to be a paraphrase, right? No, that's the New American Standard Bible. It's the most wooden translation you can get from the original Hebrew. And, and, And what is Jeremiah doing here? He's simply filling in the gaps of Job 14.1. He's telling us the reason that life gets stirred for, for, for us, every person again, from birth is because we lack knowledge and we don't get what this world is about. We don't get why we're here. We don't get what we're supposed to do. Tell me, isn't that what childhood is about? They're, they're born with what psychologists call lacking a sense of self. Every kid is born in that state. And so I love how 1 Corinthians 13, 12 sums it all up, ties the nice bow on it. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, meaning in heaven face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. So again, he's just simply saying when you add up the fact that life is like that stirring of the pot and that we lack knowledge, we see through a mirror dimly. Like one of those carnival mirrors where it's all, the shape is all bent out because the the mirror, the glass is is not perfect. That's what we see in this life. So add it all up. The pot is stirred. Knowledge is lacking. We see through a mirror dimly for all human beings. And, And the result of all of this, tell me if this isn't true, is that the average human being then is found very early on in life in a perpetual state of insecurity and doubt when it comes to who they really are and where joy and purpose can be found. It's true. If you don't believe any of this, then then here will be the thing that just seals it for you. Think back to what you felt and thought in junior high school. And if you remember those days, or, or maybe even in elementary school, I remember those days. I was insecure about my looks. I had self-doubt about my abilities. I had fear concerning what lies ahead. I had lots of confusion on how to treat others, especially when they didn't treat me well. I even had lots of questions and wonderment about God, who my heart told me was real, but I just didn't know much about him. And all kids are this way. That's what I simply need you to see. It's sewn into the fabric of a kid being born into a fallen world. And even worse, many upon many kids will enter adulthood in not much better shape if someone doesn't come along and help. Every kid is born with this insecure, inadequate view of God themselves and others. I love the funny story of a boy who was being tucked into bed one night by his mother and there was a raging thunderstorm outside and so as she kissed him goodnight, the little boy said, Mommy, uh, will you sleep with me tonight? And the mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug and said, I can't, dear. I have to sleep with your daddy. To which the little boy said, the big sissy. (laughs) See, in a kid's eyes... 
they're feeling that insecurity. And in their eyes, everybody must be feeling that. And that's the first thing we need to grab onto here. And this, as you probably have guessed, is where moms come in. Fathers are gonna play a role too, but we'll get to that in June when we have Father's Day. But what I need you to see today here is that moms are right now at this point, when we understand a kid this way, gonna play a very unique and special role in helping a child deal with their inadequacy and their lack of experiential knowledge. And so with that said, here's the second thing the Bible tells us about the role that mothers can and should play in the lives of their children and even others closest to them. And it's why we honor them on a day like this. And it's what I call what moms can instill. And it's not what many of you think. Here's what the Bible says. It's grace and knowledge. You know, we live in a world today in which many people say, well, moms are nurturers and they're lovers and they have that soft feminine side, which is, by the way, I think a lot of that is true. But when you actually look what the Bible says, that moms contribute the most to their children, it's this grace uniquely mixed with knowledge. What do we mean by this? There's a wonderful chapter tucked away in the Old Testament that does nothing but pine the virtues of a good and godly woman. Many of you know the chapter. It's Proverbs chapter 31. And toward the tail end of this chapter, it talks about a mother's relationship to her household. And it says something very profound and encouraging about the role of a mother. Look at Proverbs 31 verse 26. It says, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, it doesn't seem like much at first, but you're gonna see in the next five minutes, there is something very profound here in that little phrase, the teaching of kindness. The teaching of kindness. In the original Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in, it uses here two very common, very common Hebrew words. It uses the word Torah here, that's translated teaching, Torah means law or instruction or teaching. And then it uses the word kesed here. And kesed means loving kindness or it's the Old Testament corollary to grace. So the teaching of kindness is the Hebrew word Torah and then kesed. And you're saying, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. These two words, Torah and kesed, appear all the time separately in the Old Testament. I mean, the word Torah appears some 220 times in the Old Testament. We're told that God has instruction, that he has a law, that he has teaching, and he wants us to learn about him. And then that word kesed appears even more. It appears 253 times because it tells us that God is loving and kind and grace-filled. Grace filled. It's all over the Old Testament, Torah and Kesed. But here's what you need to know is that out of 39 books in the Old Testament, taking up hundreds of pages, these two words, Torah and Kesed, almost never appear together in the same sentence, let alone the same verse. Let that sink in a moment. You got the Bible talking about instruction and law and teaching and then grace, and they never meet in the Old Testament except under two circumstances. 
The first circumstance is found in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 35, when it's describing the good king Josiah and his kessid, his loving kindness. And then it says that this was recorded in the book of the law, the Torah. So it's using it there, not in the usual ways, just saying that this guy was really grace-filled and we recorded it in the book of Torah or the book of the law. It's used in the same sentence there. The only other occurrence is found here in Proverbs 31, where Torah and Kesed is linked together. Now watch this. In a unique way, not even found in Josiah, as it describes the unique role that a mother plays in the lives of her children. And don't miss what happens when you put these two words together. Talk about an explosion because it tells us that the, a mother provides a very unique combination of instruction and grace or kindness, instruction about who God is, who a child is, who others are, mixed with a grace that is befitting of a woman made in the image of Almighty God, a grace that knows how to view and treat others, a grace that knows how to love God and walk with him. It's a unique mixture, this teaching of kindness. Don't mistake this. Some of you need to hear this right now. This is not talking about a teaching about kindness. You're tempted to walk out saying, well, Jamie says in the Bible says that moms should teach their kids how to be kind. That is not what this is saying, though that would be a good thing. This goes much deeper. This is the teaching of kindness. Wisdom on multiple levels and wisdom in the form of grace and experiential knowledge that only a mother can provide. It's Torah and grace brought together in a way never before seen in the Old Testament. That's the mark of a mother. That's the mark that only a mother can leave on a child as a child goes through all the ups and downs in life, learning how to know God, how to relate to others in a profoundly deep way, and even how to have a rich sense of self. That's what God says mothers can be about. Uh, ben Carson is a name you might have heard. He's one of the most famous surgeons alive today. He's now involved in politics, but before that, he was known all, all over the world as one of the top-notch neurosurgeons that ever existed. In fact, he specialized in the separation of conjoined twins. Carson is a graduate of Yale University and the University of Michigan Medical Center, and he was the youngest head of pediatric neurosurgery in the nation at Johns Hopkins University at the age of 33. He's been awarded over 20 honorary doctorates, and he is a strong Christian man. He's written tons of books, and almost every one of them, he talks unashamedly about how hard work and faith in God through Jesus have been the keys to his success. And yet in the midst of all of this, he also credits something else, or should I say someone else, for his success. And you guessed who it is. It's his mother. Aside from his faith in Christ, Carson says the number one influence on his success has been his mother. 
In fact, listen to what he says in a PBS interview I heard years ago and got the transcript of. This blew my mind. He says about his mother, she was one of 24 children, got married at age 13, found out that her husband was a bigamist. She only had a third grade education. And the thing about my mother, he says, is that she never adopted a victim's mentality. She prayed. She asked God to give her wisdom because my brother and I were terrible students. <laughs> the backstory to that one is that when Carson was in fifth grade, he was ranked by his teacher, the worst student in his class, the worst. And at this point, his mother turned off the television and she made him go to the library each and every week and take out a book. And he had to read the book, write a paper on the book in addition to all of his other studies and hand that paper into his mom. Week on end, she made him do this until he would improve his studies. What he didn't know at that time, and this just blows my mind because he learned this years later, is that his mother could not read herself. And so she would take this paper and pretend to read it, but she was doing it mainly just for him. And as a result of all of this, in a year and a half, he was then at the top of his class. And Carson says that it was because of this experience that he learned to love things of the mind and he learned to apply himself and again, ended up as one of the top neurosurgeons in the country. Don't miss this, folks. You got a woman with a troubled child, but a woman with lots of faith, a no victim attitude, loads of prayer, ample discipline, all mixed together with some creative wisdom, like having her son write papers that she couldn't even read herself. I would argue that's the teaching of kindness. That's Torah and grace brought together. And what you need to know is that not only did Ben Carson have that, but it was enough. And it was what God used in his life. This teaching of kindness is a profound influence in the life of a child. And only a mother can give this. So I love how Tony Campolo's wife, Peggy, who was a full-time stay-at-home mom, would answer the question, uh, so what is it that you do? Look up here in the monitor. This is a great answer. She says, I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. <laughs> and then, true story, she'd look at the other person and say, and what is it that you do? <laughs> Uh, ladies, here's what I need you to understand. Don't ever underestimate, and men, you as well, the powerful, life-giving role in the physical, relational, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual lives of children that a mother gives. Their souls have holes in them, and some of them even enter into adulthood. Many of them do that way. And they so need love, faith, and wisdom, all packaged with loads of relationality that only a mother can uniquely provide. It's a mother's mark, and it really does work, this teaching of kindness. Now, I know what some of you are thinking at this point, because you're thinking like I would if I was in your shoes. You're thinking, but Jamie, you're setting the bar high. I don't always do so well as a mother. I mean, I get depressed, I get discouraged, I lose it regularly, I'm not that intentional at times, or I'm too intentional. 
I have baggage, lots of it, that leaks into my kids' lives in ways that I am ashamed of. So what do I do about all that? Well, I'm going to blow your socks off right now. You ready for this? God knows all of that, doesn't he? He knows all of that. And even more, let me blow you away. He has made provision for that. He's already upstreamed all of your insecurities and failures. So here is the third and really most encouraging thing the Bible says to mothers who want to leave a positive mark on their kids but struggle with their own identity theft. And that is that when your mark is lacking, then get marked by God. When your mark is lacking, become marked yourself by God. You know what many people don't realize about the Bible? <laughs> and some of you aren't going to like this, but I'm not going to read your emails even if you send them to me, so don't. <laughs> but what most people don't realize about the Bible is that this book was written by some really messed up people. It really was. I mean, it's almost unfortunate that we call them St. Paul and St. Peter and all those things. And in some senses, I can make an argument they were saints. I get that. Because if you mean by saints set apart and holy for the use of God, yes, they were. But, but at the same time, almost every writer of the Bible from Moses all the way through John, those are the first and last, uh, were really messed up in their personhood. Uh, one of the guys that we know the most about was this guy named Timothy. He was raised in a home where his father was an unbelieving Greek Gentile and his mother was a professing Jew. And we have no idea how or why they got married, but for whatever reason they did, this Jewish gal to this pagan guy. And this might partially explain why the picture painted of Timothy in the Bible is of one who struggled with what we might call today an inferiority complex. It is said on more than one occasion that he struggled with fear and timidity. We get the picture of a man who cared way too much what others thought of him, and this caused him to shy away from conflict. Even more, Paul, his longtime mentor, seems to suggest that Timothy could get defensive at times. He writes to Timothy and tells him not to be quarrelsome or argumentative. And this would only make sense of people who struggle with insecurity and self-doubt and can get defensive and reactionary at time, at times. And we know that Timothy also suffered from stomach problems and other ailments. And again, I'm not trying to read too much into this, but from what we know today, it would not be too far of a stretch to say that somebody who struggles with an acidic stomach is also dealing with a lot of internal stress. And so that's Timothy. You got this fearful, timid, sometimes defensive, rollades popping guy named Timothy. And watch this, he would then go on to have an unusually profound impact on the first century churches of his day. I mean, he would go on to co-write no less than six New Testament letters along with the Apostle Paul. He would be the guy that Paul would send as a first line of defense when churches would start to struggle in the New Testament. And Paul himself would have these words for Timothy. He called him my fellow worker, my true child in the faith, my son whom I love, who has proven himself well. Wouldn't you like to hear those words about your life from Paul the Apostle? And when you get in touch with this duality 
of a present tense insecure guy like Timothy who's being used so profoundly by God in his life. You gotta ask the question, how? I mean, how does a guy who, who, who chronically struggled with this kind of inferiority complex go on to be so wildly successful on a relational and spiritual level? And the answer goes back to what we've been looking at today to a great degree, and, and I'm not reading into this, it was his mother. It was his pretty messed up herself, marrying a pagan man, mother, who despite all of her issues, had one key thing going for her that made all the difference. Look at how Paul puts this to Timothy in his last letter to him, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul lets us into this. He says, for I'm mindful, Timothy, of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Whoa. If I was in your seat right now in Cactus Venue Chapel, if I was where you are right now, I'd be very interested in what that word sincere means. I mean, we all know what faith means. It means to trust God. It means to have faith, you know, to lean your weight on something. But, but what does that word sincere mean? That seems to be kind of a, a crucial word here. But when you look it up in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, it literally means, I like this, an undissembled faith. It's the kind of faith that though not perfect is whole. It's complete in the sense that it's not fake. It's the complete package. It's the real deal. It's the kind of faith that truly wants to know God and is willing to take action steps to do so. It's the kind of faith that is not casual. It isn't playing games. It befits a person who deep down just wants to know God and follow him increasingly in this life, even in the midst of all the mess. It's the kind of faith that trusts him through it all, that seeks to find one's sufficiency in him. And it was this kind of faith that allowed Timothy, don't miss this, to be such a mess in so many ways, but then also be used by God in the process and even find joy along the way. That's what Paul is saying. You're a messed up guy, Timothy. You're struggling with issues probably till the grave but I'm mindful of your sincere faith within you. That's, that's the ace in the hole that you have to live a life of being used by God. And don't miss where Timothy received this sincere faith. It was from his mother who received it from her mother. In other words, Timothy's mother modeled for him amidst all of her problems, amidst all of her difficulties, what it truly and deeply looked like to trust God with everything in her. She wanted to know God. She wanted to do right by God. And she had a sincere faith. And here's my point. Ladies, you have to grab onto this. This was enough. It was enough to get her through all the difficulties in life. And as she passed this on to her son, it was enough for him as well. And the point is clear. It, whether you feel like a failure or a success today as a mom, what you need to hear today in this Mother's Day is that the best way to leave a positive mark on your child is to receive one yourself from God. I mean, yes, strive to provide this teaching of kindness and security and safety that, that is unique to what a mother provides. But, but even deeper than that, 
Always remember that as you fall on your knees before your heavenly father, as you cry out to your savior who promises to never leave you or forsake you, as you trust him with a sincere faith, God will honor that and enter into your motherhood. And as Lewis says, he will surprise you with joy at how he uses you in the lives of your children. He will mark you, and in so doing, you will mark your children. But we wanted to wrap up today with one of our uh, famous my stories. We've prepared a, a good one for you here on Mother's Day. I, I warn you, it's very raw, it's very real. It's about a mother who didn't have a Lois or a Eunice in her life and didn't get hardly anything from her mother. But it's about a mother who learned just recently how to get what she needs from God. And you're going to be encouraged by Misty's story. And so look up here on the screen and then I'll come and wrap us up. My parents were really young when I was born. They were teenagers. My mom was 16 when she had me. It was rough, to say the least. A rough would be minimizing it. My mom was a fairly violent person and, and abusive to my sister and I. And you know, my dad was pretty much non-existent. He was working and we were left at home with a mentally ill mother um, who herself had no love for God. So she taught me that God hated me and that he would always hate me. And so it would be a waste of my time to think that I could maybe run to him. I actually left home at 15 and I had met a boy then who was a few years older than I was. And so when I didn't have anywhere to go, I contacted him and then I kind of left in the middle of the night and, and moved to Idaho. We got married the day after my 18th birthday. We lived an interesting life. Drugs and alcohol and all the choices that the world promotes. We got divorced because he became physically abusive. At a certain point, you know, I just thought, well, maybe I need to go home. The last thing I wanted to do was move in with my mom anywhere, but she offered to help me. Unfortunately, my mom's help was not always the kind of help that you would want. The first day I was there, we immediately went to a biker compound called the Devil's Disciples. Being involved in a motorcycle club is not anything that anybody thinks. Of course, at the time, it seemed exciting, and they talked a lot about, oh, you know, we're a family, and we take care of each other, and that's not how it is. You know, women are objects, women are used, women are beaten. At 25, I met my son's dad there. Pretty much every day during my pregnancy, he beat me unmercifully. Obviously, God's intention for me was to have this beautiful child, and it saved my life. Joshua taught me about unconditional love for the first time in my life. From that moment forward, I started seeking something when my son was about two, I knew that it, we had to leave. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works in a motorcycle club. You just don't get to leave. Literally, to get away from them, I had to hide and basically kidnap my own child.
On November 19th of 2017, Pastor Jamie had an altar call at the end, and he said, if anybody wants to recommit their life to Christ, today's the day. And I just thought that God was talking to me through him. For the first time in my life, I felt saved. And it was probably one of the most powerful moments of my life. Somebody recently told me, you know, that hadn't seen me in a little bit. I don't know what it is about you, but you're just so different. And I said, well, God is just so huge in my life that maybe that's what it is. It just feels so different to have this kind of love affair with God, you know, where I am his daughter no matter what I do. On a daily basis, I see how he works. For me, for just pretty much everybody that I know and have been praying for, I see his action in their life. God's grace and mercy has given me hope, even on days that I might feel hopeless. For the first time in my life, instead of falling down, I fall up. One of the things that I, I love about Misty's story is that, you know, there are some of you that are here today or at one of our campuses and venues, and, you know, even as a mother or as a person, you just feel like things are not good and that they're kind of beyond redemption. I know you might not verbalize it that way, but you feel like, gosh, I've just been stuck so long, it's just you're not going to get any better. Uh, Misty's story argues otherwise. I mean, to run away at 15 and to be abused and then in a motorcycle gang and be abused there and then somehow get out and wander through the desert for 10 years spiritually trying to find God and then to, you know, as of late, realize that he is an incredible God of redemption and a God who can give joy and purpose to our lives. If Misty's story doesn't show you that he can handle your problems, then I don't know what will. You see, this is what God is in the habit of doing. This is why we exist as the gathered church, to trumpet the message that God is a God of redemption. That as the Old Testament says, he loves to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That he loves to reverse the course of our lives and to get us on track toward a more whole, healing, and God-dependent life in which then everything else, though doesn't get perfect, it starts to show itself for God being in your life, your parenting, your relationships, your choices. I mean, I can't say this strong enough to you. God is good for his call on your life. And Misty right now is right on the cusp of realizing that. In fact, I got an email last night from one of our staff that says she's getting baptized after the 11 o'clock service next week when we have our baptisms here in at Cactus. And, and what a decision she's making there. And so here's the deal. Uh, mothers, most of you are gonna receive some type of gift today, I'm guessing. Uh, most of you might get a card or maybe some candy or some flowers or maybe even something bigger. This is Scottsdale, mind you. And uh, you'll probably get some words of affirmation and, and appreciation, maybe even an I love you. And I encourage you to soak it up today because tomorrow is Monday. <laughs> and as we all know, Life's going to hit you tomorrow, and as we started out our time together, uh, the pot might get stirred. Uh, things might get difficult in your life. 
But in the midst of that, here's what I need you to realize. You are loved by God. You're loved by your church. I hope you're loved by your family. And you need to hear that you play a unique role in the lives of your kids. A mark of love, a mark of wisdom, a mark of relational safety and security, and surely a mark of faith. That's what God is calling you to. And when you feel like you got nothing left to give, and boy, I know what that feeling's like, allow this to drive you to God and ask him to mark you. And if I know God, he will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this special day that we set aside to honor and love on the moms who are in our midst here at our church. And I thank you, God, that you love them more and that your word has some very potent and powerful things to say to them. And Lord, I pray that moms would be encouraged today. Uh, God, there are some moms that are going out of here today just, I mean, excited and filled up and can't wait to be with their kids. There's other moms that might be estranged from their kids. Or there might be some moms who have lost a child, Lord, so tragic. And Lord, this is a painful day for them. Draw close to them today, we pray. Remind them that you are with them and that you love them deeply and you call them into relationality with yourself and a true relationship of faith. And may they receive a mark from you that makes all the difference. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that you never give up on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day.